Welcome to the Foxtails International Podcast, where every week we explore new stories and tell old tales. We help build a community through the ancient art of storytelling. We tell our stories and hope to inspire you to find your voice, to stand up and sing out. Our stories shape our world. Your stories can change the world. I disagree with Shakespeare. We are more than actors on a stage. You are the author of your life story. Share the link with your friends. Support us by joining our Patreon team. And make sure you subscribe so you never miss an episode. Join us every week to fall in love with the world and all of its possibilities. Normally in the late summer, when farmers get a little break from working in the fields, the world would gather for what Teddy Roosevelt called the most American thing about America, the Chautauqua. Now that's a word you may not know. Can you say Chautauqua? It's one of my favorite words. If you go back to the origin, I believe it's from the Algonquin language, from the American Indians of the Finger Lakes in upstate New York. Because every year they would gather, as the fish came into the streams to spawn, they would harvest the fish. And then they would dry and smoke the meat so they had something to eat the whole year round. Chautauqua. Can you say that word? Chautauqua. It means fish kill in its origin. We use the word today to mean a gathering of the brightest minds, a gathering of the brilliance of America. And literally some of the most important people in the world every summer would go on the Chautauqua circuit, including Teddy Roosevelt and Walt Whitman and Mark Twain and Edna St. Vincent Millay, the great poet, and, and Jenny Lynn, the, the Swedish nightingale. And today we have these recreations of the Chautauqua. If you look, you can find them in your community. I usually work four or five a summer. Uh, Colorado has a couple of the best in the High Plains Chautauqua. Um, here in Illinois, I host the Bishop Hill Chautauqua, and there's another one down in Jacksonville, the, the Prairie Land Chautauqua. South Carolina has a wonderful Chautauqua, and Ashland, Ohio is another one that has invited me to speak. Today, I would like to introduce you to three of the characters that I portray in uh, Chautauqua season. These are introductions to a much longer film, History in Person, which you can check out uh, on my Vimeo page. I've also published them all as books, and they're available in the History in Person book series. Let's start with Billy Herndon, Lincoln's law partner. It's a very different view of Abraham Lincoln through somebody who knew him best. Lincoln the Lawyer with Billy Herndon. Good afternoon. I'm glad you've come to hear me, Billy Herndon. Well, Billy is what Mr. Lincoln always called me. We were partners in law for nearly 30 years, but I've known him most of my life. When I was still a small boy, he and my uncle Rowan Herndon were steamboat captains on a little boat called the Talisman. Yes, you know Mr. Lincoln was a steamboat captain for a day. He and my uncle Rowan Herndon were hired to drive a small boat down the Sagamon River. Wisely, they brought it upstream during a spring freshet when the water was high because they knew if steamboats could make it up the Sagamon to New Salem, New Salem would grow and thrive. But the boat stayed one day too long and the river ran low and the boat was grounded. So they hired my uncle Rowan Herndon and Abraham Lincoln to co-pilot the boat. Now, Lincoln wisely invited the Clary Grove boys, a gang of rapscallions in town. When Lincoln first came to New Salem, they challenged him to a wrestling match. And Mr. Lincoln said, I'll whoop all of you. 
one at a time. He quickly surmised the scene and saw that Jack Armstrong was the leader of the gang. He knew if he could whoop Jack, then the rest would leave him alone. And the two of them went at it, wrestling up and down the hill, till finally they both fell down laughing <laughs> and became fast friends. And actually, Mr. Lincoln boarded with Jack Armstrong and his wife for a while. Well, the Clary Grove boys, Jack was their leader, they waded in the Sagamon River, moving logs and rocks, not removing, but moving them, stacking them to build wing dams to channelize the river so he could drive it safely back to the Illinois. But I knew Mr. Lincoln most of my life. We were actually roommates together above Joshua Speed's general store, and it was Mr. Lincoln who recommended me for the bar and helped me get a job clerking in one of his earlier offices before he hired me as his full and equal partner. Now, some folks will say I was his junior partner, but I know we were full and equal partners because every penny that came into our office was split 50-50. I know because I did the accounting and wrote the checks and paid the bills. I could tell you a hundred stories about Mr. Lincoln's early life in Kentucky, growing up in Indiana and moving to Illinois. Some say I wrote one of the most controversial biographies. I did write one of the first because I chose to take him down off the pedestal we're so apt to build for him, to remove the rose-colored glasses and tell the truth as I knew it. As I'm often quoted as saying, the truth shall burn away all the lies. But in the time allotted to me this very day, allow me to limit myself to the area where I knew Mr. Lincoln best, Mr. Lincoln the lawyer. In the following presentation, I shall ask and answer the following questions. What was Mr. Lincoln's early training for the bar? Was he a self-taught country bumpkin or the highest paid, best paid lawyer in America in his day? What were some of the most important cases that Lincoln and Herndon tried? Some of the legal precedent we set but still honored to this day. Was Mr. Lincoln a politician first and foremost and being a lawyer was more of a hobby? Or was he a lawyer first and foremost and politics his hobby? And the fifth and final and most important question, how did his career as a lawyer prepare him to be the supreme executor of the law of the land? How did his career as a lawyer help him to become the best president this nation has ever known? Let me begin with that first question. What was his early training? Some say it was the winter of 1830-31, the winter of the big snows. Do you remember that winter? Were you living in Illinois at that time? Well, the snow was so deep Many a pioneer were snowbound, froze to death, and died. The Lincolns run out of food, and they sent him to Sheriff Warnicke's house to beg or borrow. To get to the sheriff's house, he had to walk two miles, snow up over his waist, temperature below zero. And to get to the sheriff's house, he had to cross the Sagamon River. Well, he figured the river was frozen thick, and the ice was in most places. But as he was making his... He falls through and the boy liked to drown. He grabs a root on the shore and he pulls himself out. And he still has a mile to go. Put yourself in his shoes. Clothing froze stiff. Within a matter of moments, hypothermia sets in. Your lips turn blue. Icicles dangling from his shirt sleeves. And he still had a mile to go. Now imagine you're the sheriff. And you're sitting in a big log cabin, plenty of firewood, plenty of food. You're the sheriff. But then you look out the window and you see this boy. Well, not a boy. He's six feet four, making his way across the frozen field, hair frosty white, face 
blue by the sheriff. He must have thought, it's the abominable snowman. <laughs> he recognized it was Abraham and warmly welcomed him in. <clears throat> he was so cold, he set him by the fire, stripped off his clothes because they keep stealing heat, wrapped him in a warm wool blanket and poured tea in his belly to warm up from the inside. But Mr. Lincoln was so cold, he stayed for three days. Now, some folks say he stayed because the sheriff had a pretty daughter named Polly. <laughs> and, but when I interviewed Polly Warnicky years later, she told me he was ugly and uncouth and she wouldn't have anything to do with him. So every court case tells a story. Knowing that Lincoln and Herndon tried more than 200 Supreme Court cases, there's more than 200 stories. And I have the opportunity every summer to perform in the courtroom where Lincoln and Herndon practice law. You can also visit his law office in Springfield if you like. There's another character born the same day as Abraham Lincoln, almost the same exact moment in time, more than 200 years ago, two different continents. Another one of my heroes and uh, someone who's taught me to think more like a scientist, and that's Charles Darwin. Here's a brief introduction to Charles Darwin and his revolutionary idea. It is a delightful day here in Bishop Hill, Illinois, and I'm honored that you would come hear me, Charles Darwin. I understand that you'd like to hear a little bit about my book on the origin of species. Astounding to me that this book, published so many years ago, is still one of the most controversial books ever written. I also understand you'd like to hear about my voyage on the Her Majesty's ship, the Beagle. But before I begin, I must tell you I am here in large part because of a dear friend of mine uh, from Cambridge University. His name was Benjamin Dunn Walsh, a name you probably do not know, but you should. He was one of the first American entomologists to prove that evolution was at work here in the prairies of Illinois. He used to send me boxes of beetles uh, from the prairie state and was part of the evidence that I used in discerning my theory. But um, where should I begin? With questions, of course, where all good science begins. Did creation happen just once? Or is a story of creation forever and always unfolding? Consider all of the creatures who live upon the earth today. Have they all been here since the dawn of time? Or, if you believe as I do, how is it that new creatures arise from the old? Why is it that some creatures have become extinct and others continue to thrive? What are the mechanisms that create new species? What are the laws that govern the natural world? These are the questions I spent a lifetime trying to answer, and I shall answer for you as well as one can in the time allotted to me today. <laughs> My studies began at the University of Edinburgh in Scotland. I hoped to follow in my father's footsteps, and my grandfather, they were both physicians. My grandfather was actually invited to be the head physician for the King of England. Would you take the job? He politely declined, preferring a simple rural practice. Now, at Edinburgh, I remember watching a surgeon at work without anesthesia. As they slice this boy open, oh, 
The blood-curdling screams sent me fleeing from the observatory, and I vowed a physician I would never be. So my sisters, they arranged for me to transfer to Cambridge University. Now, my father at first was, was highly uh, upset. He said, you spend all of your time rat-catching on your Uncle Josiah Wedgwood's estate. You'll amount to nothing. You'll be a disgrace to yourself and your family name. My father never spoke so harshly to his beloved children. The sting of those words are well felt, and they shall be long remembered. But again, it was my sisters who encouraged me to transfer to Cambridge to pursue a career in the clergy. Yes, as a clergyman, I only had to work on Sundays. And I could spend the rest of the week pursuing my passion, the natural sciences. It was at Cambridge that I met Benjamin Dunn Walsh, and we would collect insects together. I remember one day I was walking in the heath, and I saw a beetle I'd never seen before, and so I snatched it in one hand. In the same moment, I spied a second variety of beetle, so I snatched it in my other hand. And crawling out from under the bark of a stump, I saw a third variety of beetle. Three beetles, two hands, what would you do? I popped one in my mouth for safekeeping. Now, if you had such a beetle in your mouth, what would you do? <laughs> exactly what the beetle wants you to do. I spat it from my mouth, and the third one also escaped. But how could it be there were three varieties of beetle in this one place? Each of them adapted to a different food supply. One had small pinchers for eating leaves and herbivore. Another had large pinchers for eating other insects, a carnivore. And a third had a, a proboscis, uh, like a straw for sucking sap, a parasite. Each of them had adapted to a different food supply. But all three were clearly insects with a hard, shiny exoskeleton and six legs. What had they inherited from their ancestors? What in nature had selected them, allowing them over time to adapt, and these varieties to give rise to new species? These were the questions that haunted me, questions I spent a lifetime trying to answer. But no poet was ever as proud to see his first poem in print than I was to see one of my beetles published in Stephen's Illustrated Beetles of Great Britain. And under the illustration was my name, collected by Charles Darwin. So again, that's a brief introduction to Charles Darwin and his revolutionary ideas. You can see the entire film in my History in Person series. I do find it fascinating that not only were Darwin and Lincoln born on the same day, but both of them played a role in the ending of slavery in their respective countries. It was actually Darwin's wife, who was a pivotal player Another one of their contemporaries is General John Alexander Logan. I was commissioned by the Logan Museum in Southern Illinois to portray Logan. They even gave me a general's uniform. And if you're ever down in Southern Illinois, it's well worth a visit. Even if you're nowhere near, it's worth a day trip to head in that direction. Logan, they were rivals and friends. Logan met Lincoln when he was just a boy. And then when Logan served in the House of Representatives, he and Lincoln were on opposite sides of the aisle. But when the Civil War erupted, they became close allies. And Logan's story as a Civil War officer is one that should be celebrated for a variety of reasons. Here's a brief introduction to the life of John Alexander Logan, Black Jack Logan. Uh, first, General Logan, 
Please tell us about your family and your early life here in Illinois. My life, much like your life, began long before I was born, in the great hunger of Ireland, when my father, a mere boy, fled the famine, arriving on the shores of this nation in 1785, just after our nation was born in battle and bloodshed. The family moved over the Allegheny Mountains into southern Ohio, which was then the western wilderness, living along the Ohio River. He quickly realized that every autumn, a flotilla of flatboats would wander down the Mississippi River to New Orleans, and the farmers would sell their goods and then walk the Natchez Trace. Well, my father knew that he could buy horses for nickel on the dollar here in Ohio and then load them on a flatboat. And when he got to New Orleans, sell them for dollars on a nickel. He could make $1,000 a journey back when that kind of money amounted to something. He made the journey several times. But one time, he was on his way back. He stopped off in Natchez to exercise his horses. And he met a physician who was seeking an apprentice. So my father signed on for the season. My father often said, we must look to education to raise ourselves up. And he gained a great deal of knowledge about the medical arts. He also gained a great deal of debt. So one more time, he went back to Ohio and bought a flatboat full of horses, floated them down the Ohio River, down the Mississippi, and sold them at a great profit, paid off his debt. But he always kept one of his favorite horses. And on his way up river, he stopped in Cape Girardeau, Missouri, where he met a young widow woman. Her husband had recently passed, but he had been the governor of the Missouri Territory. And so with one simple I do, my father became a member of the landed gentry. With one simple I do, my father acquired hundreds of acres and dozens of slaves. And life went along well enough. He sent letters to all of his relations, inviting them to Cape Girardeau, where he gave them land and invested in whatever business they wanted to start because he knew if Cape Girardeau grew, so would his profits. And things went along well enough until cholera came creeping up the river and it claimed a half a dozen relatives, including his beloved wife. And Cape Girardeau held no promise for him. So he moved across the Mississippi River and up the Big Muddy. He bought a huge tract of land in what was then the wilderness of southern Illinois. He donated land that eventually became the county seat of Murfreesboro because again he knew if it was the county seat, the land around would rise in value. And it was there that he met his second wife, my mother. If there were landed gentry in southern Illinois, it was my mother's family. My grandfather served in the House of Representatives in Vandalia. My father's brother-in-law, my uncle, was also a member of the House and a prosecutor. Later became a lieutenant governor. I had followed in his footsteps. My father joined the House of Representatives. It was there that he met Abraham Lincoln, a young lawyer, and they helped to move the state capital from Vandalia to Springfield. I remember when I was a little boy standing at my father's side watching the state capital rise and vowing someday that I would serve the population of Southern Illinois as their representative. But I get ahead of myself. My father often said, we must look to education to raise ourselves up. 
So he provided the best education that one could acquire in the Western wilderness. He hired a private tutor to prepare us so my brother Tommy and I could go to Shiloh Academy. And eventually I went to the University of Louisville where I earned a degree in law, but I get ahead of myself. Two memories from my early days. One time, I was fishing in the Big Muddy River. And woohoo! I caught a 50-pound catfish! But when I looked around, there was no one to bask in the glory. So I fixed a firm hook and line, and I released that fish in a neighbor's farm pond. And the next day, when the neighbors were about, woohoo! I caught a 50-pound catfish! <laughs> Understand the neighbors are still fishing in that pond, hoping to catch another one. <laughs> one night, my brother Tommy and I were coming home after dark. I'd found an old black bottle. It was empty, and I was just flipping and playing with this bottle. When my brother Tommy wandered off the trail, <laughs> a cougar came out of nowhere. I saw it in the nick of time. I jumped in the way, elbowed Tommy, smashed the bottle over the cougar's nose, knocked him to the ground, and with a broken bottle, sliced the cougar's throat, left him bleeding and twitching in the dirt. Tommy and I hightailed it out of there. Now, some say this is a story of my boundless courage. Others say it's my foolhardy nature. I'll let you decide. And so if you'd like to see more of my Chautauqua series, check out History in Person. There are now 12 books available and 12 films. If you join my Patreon page and subscribe to this podcast, you'll be able to see all of that. But let me challenge you. If you could travel back in time who are your heroes? Who would you like to meet? Who would you like to have tea or a conversation with? What would you ask them? Why are you drawn to this character? Whenever I'm looking for a new character, I want somebody that fits hand in glove. Somebody that I don't have to pretend or act. Somebody who is, I think, already reflected in who I strive to be. What can I learn from them? I play more than four friends of Lincoln, and Lincoln has taught me to be more honest. I play several historical scientists who have trained my mind to think more like a scientist, to ask good questions, design investigations. I play several poets and storytellers, like Wilhelm Grimm and Walt Whitman, who have challenged me to be more expressive and to pay attention to the power of words and how words can change the world. Who are you drawn to? I have friends who play Harriet Tubman and Eleanor Roosevelt. I have a friend who is also a scientist who portrays Marie Curie. These characters can help us to be better humans. I feel like because I have a dozen characters living in my head, <laughs> that each of them have helped me to grow a little in a new direction. So do a little research. I often start with a children's biography because that author has done two things for you. They've boiled the story down, and they have a bibliography at the end, as you'll find in all of my books, so you can dive a little deeper. And so they've picked the stories for you that they think are most important, and then they provide that background information so you can tell the story in your own words. Go to the horse's mouth as much as you can. Read what they wrote. You will learn their vocabulary, their syntax and grammar, how they phrase a sentence. And then read for context. What was going on in the world? So I play Herbert Hoover, and most people blame him for the Great Depression. 
He actually predicted it and forewarned us. If we didn't get the banks in order, this was going to happen, so you can't really blame him for that. But reading about the Great Depression puts Herbert Hoover in context. So read primary source documents, letters, diaries, things that your character wrote, but also read some good biographies, and then read what was going on in the world. Let all this sift into your imagination and tell just a short story. You do not have to memorize their entire life. Give us five or ten minutes of what was their pivotal moment? What was their transformation? What was their largest contribution? You could be an old man, as I sometimes am, looking back on my life. You could be a young woman on the verge of some great discovery. You could do this through letters or diaries, as if you were sitting at a desk and sharing something personal and intimate. Record those segments and send them to me, and you might be on a future episode of the Foxtails Folklore Series. Hope to see you soon. Thank you for joining us for another episode of Foxtails International Podcast. Follow this link to invite me to your community, or take a look at my schedule to see when I might be performing near you. Share the link with your friends, support us by joining our Patreon team, and make sure you subscribe so you never miss an episode. Join us every week to fall in love with the world and all of its possibilities.